Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. Oh, and I am Daniel Janine. I am a producer here at Eater. This week on the show, we are talking to the chef and restaurateur Ed Lee about the relief efforts he's spearheading across the country. It is super inspiring, uh, really important work that he's doing right now, and he's going to tell us all about how he got it off the ground and uh, what help he still needs. It's such a hard thing to go from running restaurants to like deciding what cities are getting fed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, but also so emblematic of the spirit of this industry, because restaurants always do want to, I don't know, support in times of disaster. They want to cook their way out of problems. They want to feed their communities. So it doesn't surprise me that so many relief efforts have popped up around the restaurant industry, but it's also incredibly hard because it is this industry that is being so heavily impacted. So here is Ed Lee, a restaurateur from Louisville, Kentucky, but now uh, the head of the Lee Initiative. Ed Lee, welcome to Eater's Digest. We wanted to bring you on because you are on the ground running a lot of relief efforts across the country, and we wanted to get a firsthand look at what that is like. So can you start off by telling us about what the Lee Initiative is doing with restaurants around America? Yeah, so... um we started um, a program called the um, Restaurant Workers Relief Program, and we are feeding any and all uh, restaurant workers who have been laid off or who have had their hours significantly reduced um, and who will just need food, supplies, um, come to us. Uh, we have 15 kitchens right now running across the country, and um, most kitchens are open seven nights a week. Um, and we're handing out um, about 300 meals a night, um, giving out supplies and meal kits and, and you know things that you can cook at home as well. Where are you getting the money for this? So um, to backtrack a little bit, our nonprofit called the Lee Initiative uh, was a wonderful but very small um, nonprofit. And we had a partnership with Maker's Mark already, and we were doing a Women's Chef Initiative um, that was helping to empower uh, 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 women cooks across the country. Um, when the restaurant shutdown happened, um, you know, I own three restaurants in Louisville, and we just, just, just out of necessity, we we took all the food and just started cooking it because it was all going to go bad. And um, you know, I said instead of wasting this food, we should feed at least our staff that that we had to lay off. So we were we started it that way, and we realized. Um, quickly that this wasn't just going to be our problem. This wasn't a Louisville problem, that this was going to be a big national problem. And um, 
the the director of the Lee Initiative is a, a lady by the name of Lindsay Osasek, and she um, has a great relationship with makers. And she called them and said, "Hey, you should see what we're doing because I think this is something that we should go national with." And right. um, to their credit, they quickly responded, saw what we were doing. So March 16th was the first night that we officially opened. We fed about 300 people that evening. Um, and they quickly saw that this was going to be something that should be replicated. Um, and in the next two weeks, uh, we opened 14 relief kitchens around the country. And how much is it costing to keep these going? A lot. Um, so uh, basically, Makers uh, gives us the funds to keep a kitchen open for roughly two weeks. Um, we feed about 300 people a day out of each kitchen. Um, we quickly realized after a week that this wasn't a two-week problem, um, that this was going to, you know, I mean, we're, we're in early April. Most kitchens have already been running at two, almost three weeks now. Best case scenario, you know, the lockdown will will happen until early May, mid-May. So we're looking easily at another four to six weeks. So while the makers funding was great and, and, and they're helping us uh, continually to, to help fundraise, um, we're, we're looking at, you know, the, the general public. Uh, we're, we're signing on with different companies as well. Um, I literally just got off the phone with Tabasco, um, who's going to come up with a very generous donation um, and, and to help us you know, continue to fund this. So I, I, I think, um, you know, as, as we show what we can do and how quickly we can expand, I think um, the bigger companies are coming to us now uh, and saying, yeah. how can we help? Because this is not it's not a two-week problem it's not a four-week problem it's it's going to be longer and so we're we're all just digging our heels and knowing that this is a long-term investment uh we have to keep these kitchens open for the entire length of the shutdown so that's our main focus right now so how has it actually been working with the with the money it must be challenging for you to organize and distribute the actual dollars you know, I'm a chef. That's not my job. And I never thought I would have a full-time job as, as a nonprofit uh, person. Um, but times times are what they are. Uh, I, am, I am incredibly lucky to have uh, Lindsay on board who has spearheaded this whole project. And, and um, you guys should have her on the show after this is all over. She's swamped in phone calls and logistics all day long. Um, but she's basically... Um, on the ground every day, figuring out who gets what funds, how funds are distributed. Um, you know, we, we, we quickly built a model on our website where when you donate on our website, you can scroll down and pick the city that you want the money to go to. Um, and that's helped tremendously so that like every dollar that gets raised by Seattle goes right back to Seattle. Same for Boston, New York, Chicago. Um, and that's helped tremendously so we track all those donations. Mm -hmm. I mean, neither of us slept you know, for that first week, it was just, it was, it was nonstop. And, 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 um, you know, as we were busy with phone calls during the day, um, and then literally overnight, we would write up logistics and policies and, and guidelines for all the restaurants to follow. Cause you know, we have to be safe every city, especially in the, the early, uh, you know, 
early days, which is three weeks ago, um, you know, every city was on a different track. Some cities were, were, were really more loose. Some were shelter in place. Some were locked down. Some restaurants were still open. Um, so every city had a really a different kind of trajectory they were on. Um, now everyone's on lockdown, but um, it, was, it was really confusing. And, and, and we were going at such a breakneck speed um, that we were just working overnight, creating policies, you know, on the phone during the daytime, talking to chefs sponsors, you know, um, figuring out how to track money. But, um, you know, we had the lead initiative had two employees when we started. Um, and, and that was a challenge. And, and, and now we're up to five. We quickly hired three people and um, we, we keep growing and, and we're going to see this through to the end. And how did you choose which restaurants to work with across the country? Um, so in the, in the beginning, makers had uh, recommendations about which markets that they wanted to open. Um, they sort of gave us, they didn't really choose, but they gave us the cities that they would like to see, uh, um, you know, the relief work in. And obviously, they were the obvious cities. It was the cities with the most restaurant density, uh, with the most, you know, people who, who were need the most, um, you know, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, uh, um, New York. Um, and then for us... Um, it was really difficult because we didn't have the time to, you know, completely vet out every single chef, every single person. Um, so I really had to rely on my relationships, my instincts, um, and to really call chefs that I knew intrinsically that I could trust. It's not as though I'm running 15 relief kitchens. I'm really partnering with 14 chefs around the country and saying, um, well, let's work together, um, but I'm going to need you to sort of take the lead in each community in each city because I, you know, you know, like Nancy Silverton knows Los Angeles better than, than, than I do. So for, like she was the first person I called um, and I said, do you want to work with us and do this and, and, and we'll help, you know, fund you with the seed money and then you take it from there. Um, and she did, and Los Angeles raised like $20,000, I think, something like that, in, in three days. Um, and so that money went back to her. Obviously, she, unfortunately, you know, contracted the, the COVID. Uh, so we then uh, had to quickly um, pivot, uh, and now we're working with uh, Jessica Koslow of Squirrel. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, been, it's been a challenge. Every single city um, has its own challenges, its own needs, but every chef has stepped up and... and They've, they've been amazing to work with. So what can what can go wrong if you're working with someone who's not, uh, I guess, a trustworthy partner? I mean, the, the, the funds have to be spent responsibly. Um, and, and that's the most important thing. Um, obviously, we have, we have ways of tracking invoices and, and tracking labor and, and making sure, um, you know, that the kitchens are staying open. Um, but that's, that's basically the... the the one and only thing that you can, you know, as well as safety measures. Um, but we haven't had a problem with any restaurant. Um, yeah. In fact, we, we've asked every single restaurant to stay open for, um, you know, two to three weeks. Um, and every single restaurant and chef that we've talked to have come back to us and said, you know, we're, we're going to do this for a month. We'll figure it out, but we'll do it for a month. And, and it's been a real uh, silver lining. 
um, to yeah. see this, to see people rise up and do this, you know, at a time when, when I, I know that there are other people on the front lines fighting for government um, to help us out. Knowing that independent restaurants will probably not get the bailout money um, that some of these other bigger industries are going to get. And yet here we are, you know, once again, you know, coming out, helping, doing what we can, um, giving of our own time and money. So, um, you know, it's just it's just what we do. Is there culinary advice or like best practices you've seen in terms of actually making the food? Yeah, I, I mean, would, you know, cooking for and, and it's funny because, you know, like in my kitchen, we struggled in the early days because, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're a 50 seat restaurant. We do fine dining. Um, and so that's, you know, cooking for 300 nights, not what we're used to. Um, but you know, things like, you know, things that are comforting, things that, you know, can be easily reheated is really important because we can't always serve a hot meal. Um, so when we do, um, meatloaf, you know, uh, garlic mashed potatoes and, and, you know, blistered string beans, um, it's great because, it really satisfies a broad spectrum of people, um, but also it's something that can easily be reheated. And, and if you don't eat it all the, the, that night, it's just as good the next day. Um, so we, we try and stay in that realm, knowing that um, most people are taking these meals and going home with it. Everyone's going home with it because we're all on lockdown. Um, and so you can easily reheat it at home. Uh, so noodles are great. Uh, um, you know, anything that, 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 um, has a bit of a shelf life, you know, like seafood is not the best, um, because it just doesn't last the next day, uh, if you need it. Can other restaurants join the program or is the focus on extending the length? Yeah. So we, we, um, the biggest battle we're facing right now is none of us know how long this is going to go on for. And, and. Uh, we have the money. So whenever we get money, we have to make a choice. We either open a new market or we keep another market going for longer. Um, I, I, I wish I had a crystal ball and someone could tell me exactly when this is going to last because then we could budget it, but we can't. So right now we're going, we're going on the, on the you know, notion that mid-May, you know, is, is, is hopefully when, when the shutdown gets lifted. Um, but if not, we're in trouble. Um, and, and the idea is what we don't want to do is expand to 30 kitchens and then have to shut them all down mm -hmm. with, you know, a month left to go because that's, that's, that's not a goal. So really the, the priority is, is to keep the existing kitchens going for as long as they can throughout the entire shutdown. And then when we do have a, a, a an influx of money, like for example, Tabasco coming on board, um, then we feel yeah. like we're comfortable enough we can open a new kitchen. You know, we, we want to ensure the, the, the security of the ones that are already open and running because um, they're doing great work. So you had to just make that decision whether to keep the ones open that are open or expand. And it's, and it's you know, I, I'll be honest with you, and, and for all the people out there who have emailed me and called me, some I've answered, some I can't, um, the biggest heartbreak through this whole thing is... Um, I get phone calls every day from people in every city across America. And it's heartbreaking to say no to them because we just don't have the funds, you know. But I, I get calls from Richmond, Virginia, from Austin, from, you know, Tennessee, from, from Oklahoma. I mean, and, and you realize, like, 
the staggering amount of suffering that's going on. That, you know, you read words like 11 million workers, and it's, it's just a number. And then you read these emails from people saying, please, please open a relief kitchen here because we need it. Uh, and you can't. And, and it's, it's, it's staggering to think about how many people are out of work in the restaurant business. And um, they're not getting any help. I mean, you know, unemployment is coming in. But if you, if you have a family, it's not enough. It simply is not enough, you know. And, and it's, it's every single city, every town in America, every village, every hamlet um, is suffering. And, and we can't get to all of them. So we have to make, you know, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster, right? Because every day we have to make tough decisions and say, you know, we can open here, we can't open here, we can do this, we can't do that. And we know that for every piece of the puzzle what, that we're helping someone here, um, that also means we're not helping someone over there. And, and that's the hardest part of it. One of the, I think for me, the toughest things about this has been seeing the people who are really stepping up and, and taking on an important role, then being faced with impossible decisions. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, you know, it's truly a catastrophe, you know, it's truly triage, you know, it's, it's the, the economic fallout from this is, is just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, 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 you know, we, Listen, we have we have 15 kitchens across the country. You know, we need thousands, and 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 we're right now we're working on public donations and private sector funding. Um, I think there needs to be a bigger conversation happening uh, where we need federal money to open kitchens. We have millions of unemployed restaurant workers who are capable of cooking. You know, taking a little bit of money and and cooking many, many meals out of it. We have idle kitchens all across the country that can be used to feed people. And, and one of the things that, that we're not talking about is because we shut down the restaurants, that was a major, like, like restaurants are not a luxury. Um, you know, there's some restaurants that are luxury restaurants, but for most communities, there's an entire outlet of restaurants that people rely on for their dinner. And we cut off that flow overnight and so now everything has been shifted to people are cooking at home and let's be honest there's a lot of people who don't know how to cook and so now we're creating this this absolute chaos where everyone is running to a supermarket trying to buy up and hoard whatever's left over i can't even begin to imagine how much food is being wasted because people don't know how to cook and so we have this incredibly broken system right now where the supermarkets can't keep their shelves stocked. Um, the internet companies are running out of supplies every night. No one knows where to get their food from. There's lines, there's unsafe spaces, and yet there's restaurants that could be feeding people that are, are, that are you know, forced to be closed. And, and, and chefs can do a better job of taking a limited number of supplies and efficiently and cost-effectively creating edible meals for an entire population. And, and you know, that's something that, that, you know, obviously Jose Andres is doing his work. There's a ton of other grassroots movements um, that are going around over the country, but it's not enough. I mean, we literally need thousands and thousands of kitchens to be mobilized, and, and that would help. 
you know. And for people who are listening that that do want to help, besides calling their representative, how can they how can they help? What should they do? Um, so you can go on on uh, www.leeinitiative.org. Um, you can donate funds, um, and you can click down and, and choose which city you want to donate to. Um, but then there's so many other things. Uh, uh, we're all of us are in need of supplies to hand out. Um, for example, this week is Easter, and 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 we just realized that like many families are not going to celebrate Easter, um, just because right now if if money is short, the last thing you're going to do is buy candy for your kid, and so. We're asking for people to donate candies to the restaurant, um, chocolates we can hand out. It seems like a small thing, um, but what we've learned in the last three weeks is is sometimes it's the little things that really brighten someone's day, um, and it keeps them going. It gives them some sense of normal, um, and it's really important. Uh, uh, last week in Louisville, a florist uh, gave us a ton of flowers for free. And so we handed out small bouquets to anyone, to everyone. And I can't tell you how many people cried and just, you know, were just so ecstatic over a bouquet of flowers um, just because it gave them some sense of hope. So things like that are really important emotionally. And so mm-hmm. um, you can, if you go on our website, you can see all of the participating restaurants. Um, you can go on your Amazon account or your Instacart account, buy stuff, but have it drop shipped to the restaurant. Um, so they can take it and hand it out. You know, sh- supplies are in sh- such short de- uh, supply right now that it's hard just to keep up. Is there is there supplies specific supplies that are the mo- that you guys are the most short on? So every market is a little bit different, um, but I would say at the end of the day, it's toiletries and and shelf stable food um, is what people are needing, and um, you know those are those are you know those are very valuable commodities these days. We're so grateful for you spending time with us to share this story and yeah, to let us know what you. you're up to. So thank you for all your work. Not at all. And thank you for helping us get the word out. It's, it's so important right now. Of course. Amanda, we will be back after this with uh, our recap of what's going on in the restaurant world. All right, Amanda, we're back. It is time for us to run through the state of affairs in a loose, uplifting format. Cool. You know how last week we were talking about how more restaurants that are open are closing down because they were worried about safety? I've noticed there's also a trend in the other direction. Restaurants that close down now reopening because rent is due and they don't have it. Interesting. So the restaurant next to my house, uh, when the shutdown happened, they're like, okay, I guess we're going to close. And they just you know, have been closed for two weeks. And then I saw him, yes, the owner yesterday. And he's like, yeah, my landlord is not really giving me a break and I don't have the rent. So I'm going to reopen for takeout. And that kind of sucks. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be buying a lot of margaritas from him, but kind of sucks. You know, Amanda Clute does her part. I, uh, <laughs> I think, I think also besides the fact that the rent is due, I think we've kind of gotten to that time where in a sense, like the dust has settled. And I feel like a lot of people, are realizing that this is going to be normal for a while. Yeah. So a lot of people... They can't just write it out. Yeah, and a lot of restaurants who had thought, like, who were just full stop, we're going to close because we're just going to close until things reopen in a month or two, are now realizing that delivery may not be an option to cover costs, or to, but it may be an option to... as It may be a temporary Band-Aid that they're that they're going to have to settle for. Yeah. Like maybe, all right, we'll just keep a couple people here, especially if they do have a big drinks business, you know, like these guys 
make a lot of money off their bar. So if they can get enough people who want to get these giant margaritas to go, um, you know, maybe they can make it work. He said they all went and got tested. Like the four guys who were going to come to work, they got tested yesterday and now they're just like doing it. (laughs) And we make amazing margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we're tested. Um, I was surprised because I thought getting tested was, um, you know, pretty much impossible, but they just waited in line at the hospital for like an hour. Yeah, that's actually, sorry, tested. I was so quick to make my joke that I didn't even think about how insane I mean, it's was. not great for healthy people to just get tested, but I don't I don't really know what is right in this world anymore, so. Yeah, whatever. can you imagine someone bragging about being having being tested every week? <laughs> Got tested again, still good. When you see restaurants, I think talking more in the realm of like the, you know, trendier New York restaurants doing bottled cocktails and doing, you know, pre-batched whatever. Do you, are you excited to get those or do you see them as a way of just supporting the restaurants in these I have to say I'm very into it. Yeah. Because I don't, I have a lot of liquor in my house, but not a lot of skills or ingredients for cocktails. Yeah. And I don't care to or plan on stocking up in that way but I enjoy a cocktail. So I've been getting big bottles of margaritas. I've been getting Negronis. I'll, I'll get whatever bottle of cocktail you're selling. I'm going to take it a step further. Okay. Yeah. Negroni is, uh, popularized for a lot of reasons. It's delicious, but I think one of the reasons is, um, it gives, it's, it's very, it's insanely easy. It's three ingredients. Easiest cocktail. And you can customize it a little, like, if you like it a little more bitter, you can, you can, it's very easy to feel like you have some creative input. Having said that, there is alchemy in receiving a bottle of of Negroni delivered and then just pouring it out because there is something like transportive about the fact that you weren't the one to mix the things together. And also it only has three ingredients, but most of the time I don't have all three of them in my house. Yeah. I also read about some of those big um, seller sell-offs, seller sales. And like, I think we had talked about it in terms of more everyday restaurants that were doing big wine sales to raise money. But now you see the super high end places doing it Mm. where they're selling like $20,000 bottles and these crazy collectors are coming in and just dropping bank. Whoa. So the high end restaurants are able to like really fundraise, but you know, the, the collectors are also getting deals on this stuff. Yeah. I can't say it's a win win, but you know, it's, it's working out. That that seems more to me like like the Met closing Met knowing that it's closing for like two years. <laughs> Selling off what's in storage. Yeah, and being like, Hey Gary Rothschild, like I know you I always see you looking at this painting. You wanna take it home? Yeah. Just so we'll give it to you seventy five percent of what it's worth. I didn't I didn't know that was happening. So like some of the big, big fancy Oh yeah, like Man Race selling off like a lot of these high end places selling off their sellers that have you know, tens of thousands because they also need to pay their employees. And like the Koch brothers were like, ah, finally releasing this virus worked. I get my hands on those bottles. Exactly. On a, on a much more touching and dire note in, in the similar way, I'm sure Amanda in your travels in a previous life or this one, you've seen, you've been in one of those dive bars where they post bills from all over the world all over the walls. Oh, yes. I saw this story. It's so sweet. We are just radically different people. There's. Oh, do you find it heartbreaking? It's heartbreaking. I mean... Okay, explain explain the story. It's very simple. A bar with bills all over the wall has been pulling them down to pay their staff. I guess that is sad. 
I, I find it <laughs> sweet. Yeah. I guess I, I guess the sweet part is just people are doing whatever the fuck they can. Yeah. I mean, it's sweet that it's going to the staff. It's sweet that yeah. they're like. And that they found $3,000 stapled to the wall. Rainy day fund. Yeah. All right, Daniel, I have a kind of fun story for you. Headline from Eater San Francisco, communal tins of sourdough starter are popping up on trees in San Francisco. The most San Francisco story of all time. So do you know how sourdough works? Yeah, you build a starter over time. Yeah, keep it alive in your fridge, but you know, you can give it away. Oftentimes, if you say to someone, I want to get into sourdough, they can give you some starter. It's very, it's easy. If you're going to do it, I feel like the fun of it is building your own starter because everyone's starter is going to be slightly unique. No, disagree. disagree. I know, but that I was going to say that is, I think, a difference between us. Oh, really? Well, no, I think there's a nice communal aspect. Like the person gives you their starter. Like I remember someone. Um, I would only want the starter from the best fucking baker in the world. I got like, one the number from one. the Brooklyn Kitchen. And she said her starter has been all over the place. So you're getting this you know the vibes from maine and from brooklyn and from i don't know wherever the hell else she was making bread point is starter is a thing that you can give away and people in san francisco have been leaving sourdough starter all around the city tied to trees tied to poles and there's a map a google map of where you could go find one of these starters just left around for you what are you happy about this i just think it's so cute and so, like, hippie in San Francisco to just be leaving sourdough all around the city. I guess it's pretty San Francisco. It's very, like, Pokemon Go. No, it's hippie-dippy communal. It's not like, let me play this ga- gamify my life. It's not a game. <laughs> I wanna, I'm want going to take all the starters. It is if you're stealing them all. <laughs> yeah, okay? you, you just take one. Why in trees and stuff? Like, I just feel like... Well, where would you put it? I would put out a message in my bulletin or whatever in the building I lived in and say, hey, listen, I'm a baker of this, this, and this experience. Here are all the things I've made. These establish my credentials. If you want starter from me, I'm glad to well, give Well, I'm sure some. people are doing that as well. But this is much more communal and less about your own building. What if you live in a little house tweet. by yourself? If you're in San Francisco, you put out a tweet saying, hey... Who's the best baker I know I would like some starter from? How them. else can you give it to the community? Why are you so anti the tree thing? I don't know why the trees have to get involved <laughs> at all. Why is it in the trees? Because it's a pub. It's a public place where you can put something. So is the ground. You can't just put it on the sidewalk. I guess you're right. 100%. <laughs> trees are the only answer. I actually, I'm trying to come up with something other <laughs> other than trees that could work. And, uh, nope. Nope. Just trees. Well, monuments. Sure. Monument is way better to me than tree. Also, is it hanging? Is it just... How many monuments? Are there in San Francisco? Are there? Yeah. Like, what I do don't you... know. Whatever. I don't wait. I think anyway. we've... I think we've... Um, exhausted this? We exhausted the story. I just... I think it's a nice thing to tell people about, and I find it a cute story. Did you see the backlash? One of our favorite things to talk about off-air is backlash to something and then backlash to backlash. I, I saw... The talk of this, I just, I can't with Twitter right now. So I... Well, I dip in and out occasionally, you know, listen, uh-huh. the backlash to sourdough. What could the backlash be? <laughs> the backlash to sourdough, uh, someone tweeted, sourdough is a way, and it got a lot of traction. Sourdough is wasteful and difficult, and it's very silly to try your hand at it for the first time in a pandemic when there's barely any flour on the shelves. Okay. <laughs> um I just, first of all, I don't want to be a truther on this, but I, 
is flour that hard to come by everywhere? No, we're doing fine flour-wise. And it's not that hard to learn how to make bread. So even if you do, like, I've, I've fucked up some loaves before. They're still edible. It still feeds me. This is the right answer. You're a dick if you're throwing out your sourdough. If you're like, this isn't exactly what I wanted. Yeah, you get better at it. And then after a month, you have this talent where you can feed yourself delicious bread. Yeah, I think that's the real answer here. If you make sourdough and it sucks, don't throw it out. Don't be like me and throw out your espresso because you're not getting the level of crema that you're interested, <laughs> that you're looking for. You know what's probably more wasteful? All other baking. How many people are going to eat? all? Are you going to eat everything you bake? No, I know. I have to say, I've been wasting a lot of baked goods this past month because I like baking. No one's eating all the baked goods I make because I can't bring it to an office. And then they go in the trash. You've been throwing out baked goods? That's fucking wasteful. Are they good? Sad. I put some in the freezer. Yeah. But like after a few days, it's like I make 24 cookies. We're not going to eat them all. I have nowhere to put them. I mean, don't you have trees in your area? (laughs) Fair. You're right. You're right. You're right. I should. That could be my goal for this week is to find a place to donate my baked goods. I don't want to say my sourdough substitute, but the thing I've been doing with consistency that has given me some minor purpose uh, has been trying to figure out latte art. I know. I know. You talked about that. And uh, I'm getting closer. I've figured out. I've been following on Instagram. Milk steaming temperatures, whatever. Uh-huh. In no way is this tragedy. I, I, I got it. I should probably edit out even saying tragedy, but I my espresso machine broke. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Which is uh, everyone that knows me that I have told has found that to be very funny. (laughs) I'm sad for you. That sucks. I'll tell you why latte art is the perfect quarantine hobby because I think like I don't care about being actually good at it. I just want a leaf. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think from start to finish with all the right tools, if you're doing one or two a day, the average person is a week away from a leaf. All right. All right. Great. You just got to get that espresso machine, which most of us don't have. You need um, a a milk frother. That's the most important thing. The actual pulling a a quality shot of espresso is not... (laughs) Yeah, definitely don't have that. No, but a milk frother you can get for like 80 bucks. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm not telling you to spend $80 on a milk frother, but where you go here and try to make my hobby elitist, you're (laughs) fucking sour. You guys are out there fucking buying, stealing the flour from all of the people who are at the supermarket needing flour. You're like, oh, my starter is hungry. Okay. So don't, don't slight me. I don't think you win this one. I think in the elitist (laughs) contest, Working you on your latte, latte art, art is definitely more elitist than making bread. Bread is very basic. Why? Because we've been eating it for thousands Flour of years. Flour is cheap and readily available, and we've been doing it for thousands of years. I think you're <laughs> right, but I don't think that latte art is like miles away from uh, sourdough on the <laughs> okay. elite, on the elitist. If you have thoughts, please write in digest at eater.com. I think that people are going to be on my side because... They've seen enough sourdough content out there. They're into That's my not, bad the question latte isn't art. Which hobby is like cooler <laughs> or more fun to watch on Instagram? You're right. Right. Big right. news out today, Thursday. Yelp has laid off 1,000 workers and furloughed an additional 1,100. Yeah. According to the CEO, Jeremy Stoppelman. Not a huge surprise if you think about it. Still pretty extreme um, because. 
uh, why would you be going to Yelp these days? And if you're a restaurant, why would you be advertising on Yelp right now? So that's a bummer. Uh, Also out today, Toast, which is a point of sale POS provider, they had to furlough half of their staff because no one is, you know, paying their POS providers right now. Yeah. Also event, Eventbrite, Daniel, they announced 50% workforce reduction this week too. So a lot of these like adjacent agent, adjacent businesses, businesses that rely on restaurants being in business are in a lot of trouble. Can I tell you relatedly who is doing well right now? Yeah. The company's doing really well right now in the food space, Campbell's Soup Company. Their sales ah. soared 59% uh, last month. Prego pasta sauce up 52%. Pepperidge Farm Goldfish Crackers, yeah. 23% up. Heinz, all these like heavily processed, cheap yeah. foods that can keep well in your fridge and pantry, et cetera, as you would expect, are doing really well. Talk about the ultimate branding play. I mean, I don't know too much about Pepperidge Farm, but just the fact that those are cute little goldfish, like I'm pulling for them. Yeah, sure. Why not? I think it's interesting looking at fancy supermarkets in New York, um, which we would have expected, I think, to have been doing well in this time when, you know, people still need their fancy food. But um, I I was reading that in the Upper West Side, Upper East Side, a lot of the grocery stores that cater to uh, only, you know, affluent folks are actually getting hit real bad right now because all those people oh, yeah. have fled off to their uh, second yeah. homes. I was even talking to the, there's a restaurant a couple blocks from me where I pick up groceries once a week and they yeah. have, they've been doing great business in my neighborhood because everyone's still around, but on the Lower East Side where they have their other restaurant, uh, they're doing Terribly, because everybody fled. Another reason you got to... Diversify. <laughs> diversify your portfolio. <laughs> yeah. You can't trust the Hamptons no, crowd. No, They will flee the, the first sight of danger. They are out of here. Uh, anyway, oh, another note on uh, grocery stores. Um, we've heard that in, in major cities, the stores that are... The grocery stores that are offering delivery, um, their websites and, and the infrastructure that they use to schedule the delivery is totally slammed and like oh i'm sure people are doing crazy things like setting their alarm for 4 a.m uh to try to secure a spot and then like get their delivery in the middle of the night Oof. um what else we got here do you want to read me the guy fieri thing okay so guy fieri uh is in quarantine and the washington post did an interview with him and uh eater sf pulled out all the great parts of it which i love uh So one highlight, his deck is plagued with peacocks. Hmm. He says, we have to put up these motion-activated sprinklers to keep the peacocks from coming on our deck. Hmm. Uh, Another highlight, he does not dye his own hair. So at the end of this, uh, we're going to see the true Guy Fieri look. Guy Fieri au natural. Yeah. He said, by the time Triple D comes back, there will be a whole new look. I'm recognizing just how much gray I've got. What else? He's trying to fundraise $100 million and he's doing it from afar. So he's calling up every corporate sponsor that he can get access to to try to wrangle some money for a restaurant relief fund. Whenever there's darkness, I feel like he shows up in some way. I feel like now it's the point where we can call it a pattern. I can't remember the other one, but there's been many times. All the fires. 
All the fires. All the fires. He's always there uh, cooking for the firefighters. Yeah, and he's not blasting all over about it. He's using his... No, he just does it. What a guy. Guy. But you know what? I don't need him to show his natural hair. (laughs) Well, maybe someone can send him a kit and teach him how to do it. I'm sure he can find... Yeah. He's there with his son. Maybe his son can help him. I don't need that as a way of him showing solidarity with... The pandemic you mean as soon as this is over get himself to a hairdresser before he films the next triple d i think you're right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'm sure they'll take i'm sure they'll take care of that step <laughs> stop number one especially because i don't know i mean the way i feel like people consume triple d is in binges and completely out of order right so like i yeah. don't want a random <laughs> post corona guy fairy popping up no. in my feed I have to say that is our background TV right now. It's so, it's always comforting. Like whenever it's just like, I don't want to watch anything, but we want something on in the background, just like nonstop triple D marathon. And imagine, God forbid, this there was another hard thing that we were all going through. The last thing you would want on your TV was gray haired guy. No, no, I want. You want full force Super blonde, Saiyan Guy Fury. Last night, I was watching an episode where he called the pizza, like, the Mount Vesuvius of Flavortown, and I don't know what that means, but I loved it so much. It's a great show. The Mount Vesuvius of Flavortown. I mean, let's face it. Like, it's an exploding flavor. Just exploding flavor in Flavortown. So, Mount Vesuvius is notable because it hasn't erupted in, like, 80 years, right? (laughs) Is that right? Yeah. Either way. Guy Fieri is... Mount Rushmore of making places seem amazing. Side note, I don't know if we'll keep this in, but Greg Morbido, one of our editors, longtime editor here, uh, who's no longer at Eater, uh, he interviewed Guy in person when he was opening that terrible restaurant in Times Square. And he was so nervous going into it because all he did for, I don't know, five years to make fun of Guy Fieri on Eater all the time, just always making fun of him. And so he was really nervous that guy was going to be an asshole to him. And he was just so nice and so welcoming and just charmed the shit out of him. Isn't the story, isn't there also the story that uh, guy said, listen, I, I've seen all of the things you've written about me. I've seen what you've written about this restaurant, but I respect you for showing up in person. Yeah. (laughs) And and he's like, oh, we're both from North, Northern California. So we have that bond. And Greg is like, okay. (laughs) He's got, they've got that bond. So I know there are detractors out there and that restaurant was terrible, but fans. My new career goal is that I am going to make a perfect leaf latte for Guy Fieri. Okay. Love that. Combine it all. Love it. Uh, A couple news things we could touch upon, but I don't know if we need to really get into them. You and I, uh, as everybody probably knows, the bailout, uh, the stimulus package is, you know, kind of a nightmare for people trying to actually get the money. It's just the Small Business Administration was not set up for this. I think they're trying to do the amount of loans that they do in a year, in one day, every day. Uh, and it's a lot of frustration. Like whenever I do go on Twitter, I just see frustrated chefs and restaurateurs. So there's that. Hopefully by next week, we'll maybe have good news on that front. But right now, remains shit show. Other news, uh, people are walking off the job in California. A bunch of fast food workers are striking. There were strikes at Whole Foods and Instacart last week. A lot of these quote unquote essential workers are getting fed up. I know there was 
a big petition or letter sent by Taco Bell employees this week to protest the Taco Tuesday promotion that they're doing, trying to get more customers to come through the drive-thru. They're giving away Doritos Locos Tacos. And so the workers inside the restaurant are pissed that they're trying to increase sales at a time when they want fewer customers to come to the drive-thru. I mean, can you imagine just being a Taco Bell employee and just be like, we're just trying to get through the day here. And then the giant splashy corporate marketing comes down free Doritos Locos Taco Tuesday the only good news is like I'm sure they put a lot of I'm sure they have a lot of like in restaurant signage that they're meant to be putting up and it's like a really good time to not have to follow those rules that's true you don't have to change the placards inside the store great silver lining Dan (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's all I got a reminder to uh, please go neck deep in Ed Lee's, in the Lee Initiative. And uh, Amanda, what, in your opinion, what is the best way to support the the Lee Initiative? Go to leeinitiative.org and there you can donate money and send it to a specific city. But also what I'm going to do is send them stuff because you can send stuff to the restaurants and they need all kinds of things. They need diapers, they need wipes, they need um, gloves and masks. As Ed said, they need chocolate for Easter, which is so Cutest sweet. Cutest thing in the world, I know. Uh, I'm going to send them so much chocolate. Do you actually think that that's more useful than just sending money to the different cities? I sent them money yesterday, um, but I'm going to send them chocolate today. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I was listening to an interview with a healthcare worker on The Daily, and she was just talking about how food and little things like sweets actually does go a long way in making her feel better. And I'm sure that is the same, like for these families picking up food from the relief kitchens. You almost wouldn't, it's not that you wouldn't trust the kitchen to spend their money on chocolate, but like, they're not going to do that. They're going to, yeah, it's not going to be their priority. But if you have kids who are used to celebrating Easter and getting Easter candy and they're not getting it this year, it might be a nice thing. Yeah. And uh, Amanda, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Dan. We'll see you next week. Hang in there. Oh, thank you. 